0: And I think one of the remarkable things about Augustine is his relationship with Jerome one his contemporary. I think Jerome models this idea of you attack, you attack and you attack. Absolutely. And he attacked Augustine over some misunderstanding. But I think Augustine is the only person in Jerome's life that he had a major falling out with, that they maintained a friendship. And I think that goes back to Augustine not taking offense at some pretty vicious letters that he received from Jerome, but reaching out again, seeking to understand, seeking to engage. And you highlight that, I think, wonderfully in your book. And it's a good, it's a good lesson for us, um, definitely.
1: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 261. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice that you just heard is that of one of our two guests. Uh, this is Shane England. Shane is the teaching elder at Ennis Evangelical Church in Ennis, Ireland. Uh, Shane and I served together in leadership uh, many years ago at my own church at Calvary Cork, and I was excited to ask him some questions about what he's learned about the life and the ministry of Augustine and how that impacts him personally. I also Assembled on the team for this podcast, Dr. Ian Clary. Uh, Ian is somebody who has recently published a book entitled "God Crowns His Own Gifts: Augustine, Grace, and the Monks of Hadrumetum," and that was published by HNE Academic uh, back in 2021. And I thought I would love to be in the room as these two educated fellows speak about Augustine and what we should learn from him and even how he serves as a bit of a role model for contemporary preachers, contemporary theologians, and contemporary pastors. So I really enjoyed this one. I'm sure that you will too. Now, please note, there are two different ways to pronounce the name of the aforementioned North African Christian leader. Sometimes I call him Augustine and sometimes I slip into calling him Augustine. So make sure that you follow us on social media this week on Instagram. I'll be doing polls uh, on our stories. What is the way that you pronounce the name of this man? Is it Augustine or is it Augustine? We're going to settle this once and for all. Uh, Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and participate in the polls. All right. With that bit of lighthearted brevity, I'm going to pass over to our main episode. Here's Shane and Ian on what we should be learning from Augustine the Pastor. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Uh, There is not one but two geniuses in the room. And I am like, I'm like pinky and I'm surrounded by two brains. And uh, the first brain is Shane England from Up the Road in Ennis. And the other one is Ian Clary, uh, currently serving at Colorado Christian University. Is that right? Hi, Shane. Hi, Ian. Uh, Hey. Uh, we are going to talk about Augustine or Augustine. I go back and forth. What do you guys say?
0: Augustine. Augustine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I am the via media. I am. I am. Yeah, Anglican. Very
0: good. You're
1: the Anglican. Okay. So, uh, Hey, so, so Ian, I have you on because you've published a book, uh, somewhat recently It it, it was new once we started talking about this episode. (laughs) um, So it's God Crowns His Own Gifts, uh, Augustine, Grace, and the Monks of Hadrumetum. And could you give us a super brief introduction to to what this is? And then I've got a a question for you about it.
2: Sure. Yeah, this was actually um, kind of a book that was long in the making. Um, Originally started as just like a small master of divinity thesis that I did under Michael Hagen. Um, when I was uh, at Toronto Baptist Seminary. And then um, you know, I don't know if you guys have this experience, but if you ever like spend time in a thinker from the past, you know, like an Augustine, you know, you spend a couple of months with them. You feel like when when you're done that you've like lost a friend. And uh, so when I wrote this thesis, it was, you know, like a small, like, you know, 40 50 page thing. And when I was done with it after that year, I just felt like a real sense of loss. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy was my buddy for a year and he moved away. And so I it's always kind of been on the back burner that I wanted to go back and expand the thesis, which is what I did. So uh, the thesis itself just kind of dealt with all these nitty gritty issues of like freedom of the will in North Africa in a later plagian controversy. And then I expanded it into like kind of more of a book on like pastoral theology. So looking at like, how how Augustine defended Orthodox theology against Pelagians in the earlier part of the controversy, and then how he showed real pastoral care for some monks in North Africa who didn't really understand the controversy and just was like freaking out that Augustine didn't believe anybody had free will. And so he really kind of leans into freedom of the will with these later monks and uh, he's doing it to show like, hey, like real care for these guys. Like we have free will. Don't freak out. God is sovereign. We have free will. We don't exactly know how it works together, um, but just don't be a bad Pelagian. <laughs> so um, and I just loved it. I, I was, you know, training for ministry. I ended up going into ministry um, while I was writing this other part of the book. And um, and so it was just like super helpful for me to see like what real pastoral care looks like. Uh, you have to defend truth. But at the same time, you also want to be really aware of the people that you're speaking to. Some of them are just, you know, these were just monks that didn't understand. And so he had real kind of compassion and patience and care with them. And I just thought, man, what a model pastor theologian that is.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the blurbs on, on the front page is saying that, you know, this, this book is um, a study in theologically driven pastoral care. And, Uh and I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy that. And, you know, on this podcast, we focus on one aspect of, Pastoral and Christian ministry, which is which is preaching, but but we never want to while we focus on that exclude or or say these other aspects of of Christian character and pastoral responsibility aren't important. So specifically, this theologically driven pastoral care. Yeah, yeah you have so, to have.
2: Well, he's a pastor theologian, right? So <clears throat> um, you, you need the, you need. The, I mean, the guy is obviously so remarkably deep theologically, philosophically, and yet it was all in the service of ministry. Then, so.
1: Yeah, so so Ian, like he's known for his, you know, the theologian largely, but like, what what was he like as a pastor? And then also, what what could you tell us about him as a as a preacher?
2: Yeah, yeah, as a pastor, he's interesting. He he basically gets press ganged into ministry. Um, so if you know that term from the Royal Navy back
1: in like the eighteenth century, you know if you're if you're some I know low- it from a Murder City Devils song. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's awesome. It's called press gang. There you <laughs> you're, you're telling me it's a real thing? The real thing. It,
2: it, if, you're, if you're out with a lot, if you're like you know in Liverpool by the docks, and uh, you're out with the lads too late at night having a few pints, and you stagger out, and a couple of guys from the Royal Navy saw you, uh, and you know the 1800s, 19th, uh, 18th century, uh, they could, if you were within vicinity of of the uh, of a of a ship, they could press gang you into the Royal Navy.
1: That corresponds exactly uh, with, <laughs> with. They say, "Don't go drinking down by the docks; you'll never know where you wake up."
2: That's Take hilarious. Over. That's exactly what it is. So that's what happens to him, right? When he gets converted in a garden in Milan, one of his first things that he does is he wants to go back home to North Africa and just like kind of set up a kind of like philosophical community with his buddies. And he's aware, he gets there, and then he's kind of aware that he can't kind of like hang out in certain conspicuous places because, you know, here's this, here's this hometown boy who's super smart, who's now a Christian, and he realizes he's going to run the real risk of getting basically press ganged into the pastorate. And so he ends up going to this place called Hippo Hippo Regius, uh, because there's already a bishop there. And so he's thinking, okay, they've got a bishop; they're not gonna, they're just gonna leave me to kind of live the contemplative life. And this bishop was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 I'm gonna make you my assistant bishop. (laughs) So a bishop back then is kind of more like a pastor. And uh, and then eventually this bishop will die. Augustine has been kind of like, then you know, had some pastoral experience, and then he becomes this bishop and pastor. So that's how he gets into ministry, and then he becomes one of the most important bishops in church history um, because of the roles that he'll play in a number of controversies. So he's, you know, engaged in the Pelagian controversy that I'm dealing with in this book. Uh, he gets into one over Donatism. The Donatists were the dominant church in North Africa, and uh, they basically said that if you if you kind of uh, if if you had um, capitulated or compromised your faith during the persecutions. Uh, you're no longer welcome back into the faith. Uh, You've lost your salvation and it's done. There's no second chance for you. And Augustine's like, that's not what saving grace is about. And so he gets involved in the Donatist controversy. uh, And then um, he's in constant state of controversy with the Bannekees that he used to hang out, this weird cult that he used to hang out with. And then he kind of, really, all those controversies establish him as this very, very important theologian and bishop. He presides presides over important councils, like ones in Carthage. Um, and then he just becomes the man. He starts writing these like really insane theological books. He writes, you know, his confessions uh here. I'm actually podcasting through confessions with my buddy Wyatt. Um, and uh that becomes like a, a very uh, well-known book. He writes other major treatises on the Trinity, freedom of the will, politics with the city of God, and that just establishes him. Um, he preached regularly. Um Preach through books of the Bible. So you could kind of say in a kind of expositional way, but very theologically and philosophically informed. Um, John's gospel, like that's the the, the that's the series that he did on that is really cool. We did the Psalms, which amazing. So anyway, um, but yeah, I'm rambling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, wonderful. Hey, so this this th- thank you for that that introduction. Some people might be familiar with all that you've said, but I I, I assume that many people would have learned uh yeah. some of these things. So this kind of reminds me of, of my friend Shane for, for two different reasons. Number one, because Shane was also press ganged into ministry. (laughs) Uh, Shane was uh, first a a missionary in, in Ukraine. And then him and his good wife, Katie um, moved to Cork. And he had the audacity to just try to be a member of Calvary Cork. And then I, I prevailed upon him uh, again and again to serve as a, as an elder and, uh, I, I press ganged him into ministry once more. And then also nobody other than you, Ian is, is more well-read on Augustine than Shane. So Shane's constantly reading stuff about Augustine. And uh, at least in my circles, you're like the other Augustine guy. And, (laughs) (laughs) and I, I just thought to get you guys together would, would, would spark some magic. Uh, So, so yeah. So Shane, what do you know about Augustine, the, the preacher and the pastor?
0: Yeah, just what Ian was saying, how he was reluctant to enter into ministry. Uh, I I guess at that time, his interest in Christianity was very intellectual. And there was a culture of intellectualism that Augustine would have been part of prior to his conversion that he wanted to replicate. And that really was about gathering like-minded individuals around you, discussing the, the deep things of the faith and pursuing Christ. And the thought of ministry, you know, was terrifying and somewhat repulsive to him. But if I understand correctly, the the journey into ministry that he does mention as a terrifying and uh, huge task that he he faces, I think in many ways it, it helped him much more than the intellectual retreat that he wanted. Because unlike Pelagius, you know, the the theologian that was um, involved in many of the controversies at this time with Augustine about grace. Pelagius pursued that pursuit of intellectual community. He was was not involved in ministry. He was not ordained. He was not a a bishop of a church. He was not giving sermons. He was giving lectures to like-minded individuals. And that's exactly what Augustine wanted. But serving as as a bishop in a church, pastoring people, preaching to people, it revealed to Augustine much more of the grace of God than he would have experienced locked away with um, inner circle of intellectuals. Um, so I think he he really developed his own Christian understanding of the nature of God's grace in dealing with a broken community, people that had completely different worldview or you know, life experience, understanding of the scripture than he was used to. Um, and you can see that in his teaching. He really is trying to reach to people that coming from all different walks of life Uh, people that have very little understanding of the christian faith people struggling um and that that is something i think that is a good model for us as preachers and teachers that we are given that solemn responsibility to minister to people from experience life experience that is often radically different to our own
1: yeah yeah there's there's the easy let's say communion of of like-minded let's say similarly educated yeah. um worldview aligning that that we have which is good, it's good to have but that's <laughs> that's pelagian <laughs> um the pastoral part is actually engaging with different people or or that's pelagian in the sense of a lowercase p that's what pelagius did um yeah. but augustine the pastor engaged with those who are different
0: yeah and and people that were not good christians in the sense of they hadn't reached a level that, you know, would be part of this inner circle of Christian intellectualism. Um, you know, people whose theology was wrong, people whose lifestyle was sinful. These are people that Pelagius certainly would not want to be part of the church or anything to do with him. But had Augustine remained in that intellectual retreat that he, he so wanted, he would likewise have never had to minister to people in a state of brokenness Um and that's in his preaching, like Ian was saying, he is a pastoral theologian. He is communicating the, the richness of Christian theology and, and um, the depths of that theology. But he's also communicating to people um, from all walks of life. And that the pastoral heart really comes out, I think, in his teaching. He's, his desire to see people um, understand the love of Christ for them and to be changed by that.
2: I love when you're reading his sermons and uh, you actually hear him like it actually gets recorded when he does like a direct address uh, to his congregation you know and he's actually like talking specifically to them about some sort of issue and or he'll say things like I know you people were falling asleep (laughs) the last time I was uh, preaching on this I have to recap what I said last time (laughs) because everybody was sleeping I think everybody had to stand while he sat in a bishop's chair while he preached and so people would kind of stand there kind (laughs) of You know, so you can, you, when you read his sermons, you, you, they're not mere theological treatises. These are, this is actually him addressing the need, the specific needs of his congregation, which is, it's neat to see it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of, 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 preaching. So Shane, I know that during, you know, the, the lockdown of 2020, uh, that you were preaching through the gospel of John and actually I was too. And, yeah. uh, I would I would dip into Augustine every I don't know every fourth or fifth sermon whereas for you he was your um go to every single week and you were I don't know you were kind of pastored by Augustine as you were pastoring these others what was that experience like
0: Yeah so he would have been um he would have been the the primary church father I was reading during my my teaching through the gospel of John and learned a lot from him he's utterly Christocentric, obviously, in his teaching that he seeks to present Christ as the the focal point of Scripture, and he's like we said, he is incredibly pastoral. He is engaging with the people listening to him. He's modeling this idea of asking questions, seeking responses, um, seeking to engage, challenging, rebuking, encouraging, and all the while he he is trying to unpack the text as he sees it. So he's going through the gospel, you know, from start to finish, and. Um, what I could see in him is is definitely that that um balance between seeking to engage people with a pastoral care and also to present to them a theological vision that he would seek to impart to his congregation the the mystery of Christ as John presents him in in John's gospel and to elevate their their worship and their understanding of that and and that is a fine balance because you know he is teaching in in a small town in north africa with people you know that ranged from you know wealthy people to slaves to people that were illiterate but he does challenge their vision of christ in some incredibly beautiful ways and and seeks to bring them along in that in that journey and so i i i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed uh reading augustine and listening to listening to his voice coming through those
1: sermons uh Ian, has he pastored you? Oh yeah, big time. Um like I said, especially with that kind of
2: like friendship element, um, being able to kind of go back to him um, you know, multiple times now, whether it was to, to kind of update this manuscript or uh now that I'm teaching here at Colorado Christian University, I teach on Augustine quite a bit in my philosophy classes. Um and what it's done is it's afforded me kind of like every year to kind of go back and like start thinking about him, start rereading him. I actually use a book that my students have to do. It's a book review assignment. Um, It's uh, Jamie Smith's On the Road with St. Augustine, which is a really cool book. It's pitched really well for a university audience. Like even you're like, probably like college and career age people, it'd be a worthwhile book to check out with them. And he, Smith does a, a really good job at like, making um Augustine just feel kind of really real and human to us and i read the book a couple of summers ago and it just kind of like hit me between the eyes again you know like the things that Augustine dealt with were almost archetypal for all of us as humans you know like it's got chapters on Augustine's problems with his dad and i have horrible relationship with my dad so i could really identify with how how Augustine kind of wrestled through those questions, you know, Augustine had an overbearing mother, so did I. So like, you know, and he's, and he's wrestling with like questions, noting the questions of like ambition and sex, and you know, all these big issues that humans are dealing with doesn't matter what era. And you could just see like, wow, there's such wisdom here. And, and I mean, Smith is communicating this, but he's using Augustine to do it. And there's just such wisdom. Um, that was like, it, it kind of reoriented a lot of my thinking about my own life reading that book. And then, um, now that I'm podcasting through confessions with Wyatt for gospel coalition, Canada, doing like a really in-depth reading again, this is the third time I've gone through this book cover to cover the confessions. And I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. Like it's absolutely just blowing my mind and having now more philosophical training. I can actually see a lot more of what Augustine's doing in the book. That actually is so helpful for me personally. Like I've been going through like a lot of just kind of like dark times in the last couple of years, you know, struggling with some like depression and things like that. And, uh, and, and Augustine's confessions have really kind of like helped me frame a lot of things. Um, so I, he's somebody, I, I want to, I want to read for the rest of my life. I don't want to, I don't want his pastoral friendship to go away. (laughs) Sorry. That also was long winded.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, thanks for letting us in on that. And I'm glad that, that, um, Brother Gus has been has been helpful uh, during those times. Yeah, and sounds like there's a lot of yeah parallel tracks between you and every other Gen X or millennial. (laughs) Man, I'm Gen X. (laughs) Are you Gen X? Yeah. Yeah. He's like Billy Idol. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. um, Yeah, can I just say there is there is an amazing I think um, likewise a vulnerability I think with the with the man Augustine. I remember coming across the confessions, having read other church fathers, you know, maybe from the, the Greek church prior to that. And I was blown away by how open and honest it is, because here was a man who had such a reputation for holiness and for um, theological understanding, laying bare his, his adolescence struggles with uh, sexuality and his vanity and his pursuit of all these things in the world in a I think, unique way at that time anyway. And I was blown away by that. But also we see it in his preaching and teaching. Here's a man who recognizes his own limitations, his own struggles, his own uh, human weakness. He struggled with his voice as a preacher and would even have to cut sermons short to, to recuperate. He, you know, he was a man who recognized his own limitations. But at the same time, he is, as he preaches, he says, know, I'm bringing to you what has nourished me he's not just imparting knowledge. He's not just saying, you know, here's three interesting things about this text. He's saying, you know, God nourished my soul. This, this fed me this week. I, you know, I I was sustained with this and now I bring it to you. And that is Augustine's understanding of the preacher. He says, you know, he is the one who, who brings the food to the table. He is that waiter in a sense. He is the one serving the meal. Um, And he is also the one who has first been nourished by these things. So I was, I was encouraged by that too, not to simply impart knowledge, but as I teach and preach to impart what God has nourished me, you know, what God has been doing, what God has helped me, or how I've been encouraged in that. And Augustine was a good model of that for me, that I I didn't necessarily see in other contemporary, you know, teachers at that time. He he is very open in in the sense of his own walk with the Lord and his own um, struggles and encouragements as
2: he teaches he's really um especially in confessions you see like kind of almost like a a new way of looking at the interior self right like he really looks in deep into the soul and he's constantly as you say like he's constantly like the heart is is a huge theme for him right like uh he talks about like how his heart throbs for these truths about god and and whatnot and so then that's just that's pouring out of him you know in his preaching um, it's interesting. So you preached through John, uh, and used, uh, his, his, uh, homilies on John. Um, because I think if I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this here, I just had to Google it real quick, but I think he also, um, cause John, John and and his sermons on the Psalms were written to help catechumens. So people who are kind of like being trained in the faith to become members. Um, uh, it'd be interesting if you did a Psalm series next and then used his, narrations on the psalms and see like what kind of neat connections there might be like with with your preaching um and seeing like how what he did in john if he's doing the same things with the psalms too kind of cool <laughs> that is interesting yeah can i tell you a story about a friend of mine uh and and his commentaries on, on augustine's commentaries on john how it saved his faith yeah so um sorry, had men- no time for
1: that. Yeah, no. forget it. <laughs> um I just I'm gonna I
2: tee that up. Yeah. <laughs> let it drop. Yeah. Um I, I love his John, uh his John commentary. Um and uh it, it, like my interest was sparked because I, I have a mentor of mine back in Canada. His name, he's a he's a Lutheran scholar named Dennis neon So he's a scholar of Luther. And Dennis neon was mentored by G.I. Packer. Um and so when Dennis, when Dr. neon um he was he was, he had, I can't remember if he had done his phd at this point or not but he went through like kind of like into his education he had a real crisis of faith um where he was like you know i think kind of on the verge of like abandoning christianity and he didn't know what to do and so he reached out to packer and packer said why don't you fly out to vancouver and spend some time with me and uh so he does that so dennis flies out to vancouver uh goes to packer meet they have a set time where they're going to meet i can't remember if it's in his home or if it's in his office at regent but he basically walks into Packer's study and he has a Bible open and Augustine's commentaries on John and they just worked through John with Augustine. And it basically just saved my friend's faith, <laughs> my mentor's faith, you know? And it's like, man, that is so cool. that pa- That's Packer's approach to a guy who's about to abandon his faith. Let's use Augustine on John and the Bible. And that's what's going to rescue you. And it was like, wow, that is outstanding. <laughs> That's amazing. Cool story. Very cool.
1: Yeah, sure is. That's yeah. That's that's not a lot of let's say yeah college and career youth ministries would be based around like okay deconstruction is a problem you know bring in Augustine yeah but uh, (laughs) okay so Augustine has been like yeah it sounds like a a a a pastor to each of you and Mm -hmm. even you know an, an evangelist to some degree to to your friend and mentor Ian. Um, But yeah, he had kind of a way of teaching through the Bible. You've mentioned the whole series through John, the whole series through the Psalms. Um, But from what little I know of like medieval history, um, that way of like Lectio Continua didn't seem to stay on fashion um, in in the medieval times. I defer to your expertise. Um, is that true? And then if it is true, what's been the impact on Christendom of, of, a, of a lack of this kind of teaching through books?
2: I'll let Shane go first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think like the, the the golden era, the patristic era, you see people like Augustine Chrysostom in in uh constantinople they are working through books and it is a a means by which the the text is front and center and the format is that they would take a pericope a section a self-contained portion of scripture to um to to explain and to apply and to preach from not always but that is we do see that modeled um in the golden era of this patristic era but um i certainly you know by the by the high middle ages um in western europe you have a lot of things that have changed for instance people are not speaking latin the the languages of europe have changed and so the bible certainly becomes one more step removed from the life of the people and um there are attempts to to you know revitalize the the mission of the church and preaching interestingly it you know these monastic movements the the Franciscans the Dominicans that arise in the 12th uh, century and following they're famous for being preachers um, but it is interesting that you know it's preaching is not front and center in the same way in the life of the church than it was in the patristic era um, and I think the style of that is certainly different as well we see in the high middle ages the the thematic sermon, um, you see sermons not so much anchored to the text as so much they are anchored to different um, philosophical or theological questions. Um, interestingly, the earliest piece of Irish that we have printed was, it was printed in the 16th century, but it's actually an old um, late medieval sermon given in the Irish language by a Franciscan, Philip Buck Dohigan. And if you compare Philip Buck's sermon in Irish to, you know, um, a, a much earlier patristic sermon, you can clearly see that they're they're radically different in the sense that the, the very later Franciscan model is it's a thematic sermon. It doesn't unpack the text in the same way as Augustine would have. Um, I don't think it has um, as much value. Certainly, I think there was there was a lot. Missing in that later model than than we see modeled in someone like Augustine, who works through the text and really tries to instill in his congregation a deep understanding of Scripture to the extent where he's discussing textual critical issues with his congregation in a Sunday sermon. He's highlighting the transmission of the text. He's highlighting context and and the and the passage as a whole.
2: Um, but yeah, that, that's my take on it. <laughs> I don't know what Ian thinks. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's great. I think one of the, and I'm not like, I'm no expert on like late medieval preaching by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> neither, but, am, neither am I. Um, but when, like, when you think of like, you know, throughout, I think largely through Augustine too and, the, and other church fathers, you get this idea of what's sort of like four sort of senses of scripture, the fourfold, you know, sense of scripture is what it's I've referred to. And like the best of that um, is going to be very grounded in the first sense of scripture, which is like what we would today kind of describe as a kind of like historical grammatical approach. You know, um, so somebody like Aquinas, who uses the fourfold sense, is going to be really driven by a literal reading. And then the, the literal reading um, will kind of help help keep his like allegorical readings or whatever from going off the rails. But I think as you see a kind of rejection in the late Middle Ages of Thomas Thomas thought thomas aquinas himself i think what one of the things that you kind of see happening is that allegory kind of becomes more of the dominant uh way of preaching in the late middle ages and so that you get all sorts of weird interpretations that aren't driven by the historical grammatical approach and so i think that's what's happening um and you do you have you say you have like the dominicans who are preaching preaching friars those sorts of those sorts of preachers are like itinerating all across europe you know into england ireland um, and so there's there's definitely lots of preaching going on. We we sometimes will look at that period as like this dark age where no preaching is happening, you know. Um, it's not entirely true, um, but I think what happens in the Reformation Renaissance and then the Reformation is that you get like a kind of return more to, like how do we ground our other senses of the text in the first which is going to be much more kind of grammatical historical sort of you know doing proper exegesis before you jump off into these other issues yeah
0: yeah definitely i think i think the early uh, well like the patristic theologians like augustine um they certainly modeled in their preaching a, a centrality of the text the scripture as opposed to later systems that certainly would emphasize the liturgical or sacramental or philosophical you know priorities without ever without even referencing a biblical text sometimes um and that ha- that is important for preaching is that it is so grounded in the text um and you do like you said it's it's not unknown you see people like Wycliffe and the Lollards they are known as preachers and obviously um what they see as the means of reformation is is preaching the scripture and that you know initiates some early translation of the bible into english um jan hus in prague um his whole idea of ref- reformation at that time is preaching in the vernacular he's he's going to preach in czech in his little chapel in prague um explaining the scriptures uh, i think that that's obviously because of the history of, of medieval europe is that you know we have the bible in latin and it's not being taught in the same way that it was at an earlier stage in a place like hippo in North Africa which I think is remarkable too because that's nowhere that's that's like Ennis I mean it's it's just it's a little place in the middle of nowhere but here you have a a bishop preaching you know incredible teachings in scripture and I think that's remarkable that you know that that was what people in North Africa and in a small place like hippo uh, could expect on a Sunday morning coming to church is to, to be challenged and to have presented to them the text of scripture uh, in that manner. I think it's
1: amazing. So, so what's the loss? So if those type of things aren't happening, like, like, so what, is it just because we're on a kind of preaching trajectory that, that thinks that's better. So we're sad. Or do you think there actually is a detriment to the church and churches and Christendom and Christians, if that type of Bible-oriented teaching is missing?
2: People aren't going to be fed, right? Like you need you need to grow in your faith. You need word and sacrament. And so um, the, then they empower one another uh, to feed the soul. And so if you don't have, you know, if you don't have that, um, then your people, I mean, you know, Jesus tells Peter, you know, when he's kind of reinstating him after Peter denied him, you know, over and over, he's saying, feed my sheep. And so as shepherds, that's what pastors are called to do is to feed the sheep. And so if they're, if they're not preaching from the text, I think, I think the fourfold sense of scripture is something we need to recapture as well. And part of our, as part of our preaching, not just the historical uh, radical, I think we need the whole thing. So I think that's what the Bible itself does. And I think if we can recapture like a kind of full orb, what, well, this is what preaching looks like. You're going to see our people grow exponentially. Um, I, the students I get in my, in my intro classes to New Testament or theology, they don't know the basics of the faith anymore. It's just not being taught and preached in our churches. And so no wonder the church is so weak today. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Augustine's own conversion
0: is take it up and read it in, in that garden in Milan. It was, it was that child's voice calling him to pick it up and read the book. And obviously it was Paul's epistle to the Romans. And that obviously had the a, a transformative effect on Augustine's life. So he can, know firsthand the the power of holy scripture in reaching into a heart that is um, lost and i think what what can be missing certainly is the power of scripture if we develop a system of teaching and preaching that focuses more on um, a sort of a thematic or cultural approach to theological questions that are not rooted in scripture or even uh, church architecture if, if you know like um Gregory's famous statement that the, the image, the icon is the is the Bible for the unlettered. Augustine says something reverse. He says that the sermon is the book for the illiterate. It, this is your Bible when scripture is brought to you. And so he, he would say, Yes, there are people that don't have access to Bibles. Um, you know, the later on in the Middle Ages, people would say, Well, the, the images or you know, art can fill that void. Augustine would say, no, it's it's the sermon that is the book for the people that are illiterate because this is scripture. This is Christ brought to you through the living word. I think that's correct emphasis. Um, definitely it's, it's vital for the church that in our preaching that we are presenting Christ as scripture testifies to him. There's power in
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey, Professor Clary has to go teach a class now. <laughs> so we could we could we could keep on we could keep on going but um thank you for for this i wanted to talk as little as possible i just wanted to get you guys in the room and then just kind of like listen to you talk so forgive me if i even interrupted too much uh, but where can like what's your recommendations if somebody wants to like begin re- reading or learning about augustine um so ian you mentioned that you you co-host a podcast called into theology and you're currently talking about that, where could they find that? And then what's the first book they should read after that? Or along with it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, the,
2: you read with it, you got to read Confessions. That's what we're going through. Um, yeah, so Wyatt Graham and I, Wyatt is the, um, he's the director of Gospel Coalition Canada. And so he's a friend of mine from a long time ago. And uh, so we've been working through various books, uh, classic books of Christian literature reading institutes so from just finishing um, confessions, we're going to do Thomas Aquinas next. Um, and so we're at the gospel coalition Canada website, and then just look up under podcasts, you'll find the into theology one, and you can find the episodes there. We're, we're just about to record on book 12 of confessions. Um, and it's been awesome. Like, I love it. It's been so fun to go through with him. Um, and then if you were to read, like I, my favorite little biography actually of, of Augustine's actually the one by Gary Wills. Um, I think it's just called Augustine. It's a very, very short little paperback. You could read it in like, you know, a day or two very easily. And I just, I just love the angle that he took on things, the way he kind of thought, like tried to really humanize Augustine. Um, that, that's kind of like one of my favorite intro biographies of, of him. I reread it a few summers ago and it was just like, wow, like, even though I knew all this stuff already, just the way Wills would frame it, was just like very thoughtful. Wonderful.
1: Shane? Thanks. Over to you. What would you recommend?
0: Uh to get familiarized with Augustine, uh, maybe Peter Brown's biography. That's definitely a, a, a fantastic work. Um, but like Ian said, a, a Confessions is is just remarkable as a work of Christian theology and <laughs> and literature even, definitely. Um, ian your book is very good too i really don't even don't even (laughs) yeah no fantastic i really i really appreciated that you know you you do make a really good point concluding that augustine isn't isn't just a hammer smashing the heretic he is a pastor and not every problem needs to be attacked full on and that's not a denial of of Orthodoxy, we see in Augustine, I think, a rare model, like you say in your book, of a pastor theologian who is absolutely concerned with Orthodoxy, but is not going to attack every single person as an archeretic, which can be a tendency for us. You know, sometimes we can just, you know, we can go into full frontal attack mode every time. And I think one of the remarkable things about Augustine is his relationship with Jerome, one of his contemporary, I think Jerome models this idea of you attack, you attack, and you attack. Absolutely. And he attacked Augustine over some misunderstanding. But I think Augustine is the only person in Jerome's life that he had a major falling out with, that they maintained a friendship. And I think that goes back to Augustine not taking offense at some pretty vicious letters that he received from Jerome, but reaching out again, seeking to understand, seeking to engage. Um, And you highlight that. I think wonderfully in your book. And it's a good, it's a good lesson for us. Um, definitely. You should also read um
2: you you sparked the thought. Let me just grab it. This, this book here just came out my buddy Coleman Ford, who actually has taught at Munster Bible College. Um, so his his book, A Bond uh, between souls, because you're talking about the letter writing there. Um, so this is like him looking at friendship in the letters of Augustine and he deals with all that stuff. So and it's it's really awesome.
1: Book. Good old Lex impress. Anyway, lads, I gotta go. You gotta go. All right, well, I hope that this and all we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. All right, bye. Well, thanks guys. Uh, Ian, I hope that your students uh, passed their test and I really enjoyed this conversation. Wish there was more time we could be together in person. I have a deep uh, love and respect for each of these gentlemen. And I hope that this conversation and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you, the listener, to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. Find us on social media, tell us how to pronounce the name of this man, and we'd love to keep in touch. we got some great in-person training opportunities coming up in Texas and also Indianapolis. So I can't wait to get details to you about that. Hope to see you soon. God bless you. Bye.